1: I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for tuning into the program. The hits just keep on coming, y'all. <laughs> so, we had a, an attempted bloody violent revolution at the Capitol. That was fun. That was like a week, less than a week ago. And more than likely, I was probably going to talk about that, get into that, talk about talk about the insurrection. And then with a uh, somewhat lightning speed, you probably all know if you're listening to this, that it is announced that Bad Wolves has separated with our lead singer, Tommy Vext, And there's a lot there. It's obviously a massive shift for the band I would say a big portion of the band's audience. You know, the band has a lot of crossover appeal, radio play. And I'd say a lot of the fan base just doesn't even know a lot of the band members besides Tommy. He really is in many ways the face of the band. So it's a shock for a especially big portion of that audience. And being in this band for Since 2016, that's when I started jamming with the band. It's the culture behind the band has not necessarily been amenable to honesty. And it is what it is, but I think that will evolve to something more in line with my personality, which is I'm the type of person that I like to be an open book. I find I find the actual truth of things to be so much more fundamentally interesting than euphemism, than coloring over things to make things look better. So much of today is social media is like painting a picture of how everything is great or better, you know, a little bit better than everything is right. You know, the filters, a Snapchat filter, we can kind of put a filter on our life to make our life look cooler. And I, I just don't think that's interesting. I don't think the opposite of that is interesting either. Just thinking, you know, your life is pretty great and complaining that's terrible all the time. I think that's pretty bad too. But anyway, back to the subject matter. I can't really talk a lot about the ins and outs of what's going on with the band and the split due to the fact that there's just a lot of behind the scenes business things that have to be taken care of and in all due time. But one Rumor I'd like to dispel is this idea that Tommy was canceled by the band or that uh, the split happened because of a disagreement about politics. That's absolutely absurd. You guys know me. I mean, I know you guys know. I'm probably more speaking to people who don't listen to the show, who won't even hear this. So maybe it's a moot point. But I'm a very, I would say compassionate person when it comes to trying to understand people that disagree with me. I don't think it's necessarily beneficial to just silence someone or not speak with them or or at least learn or try and convince them to the right side or whatever. But I think the worst thing you can do to someone is to relegate them to kind of the halls of disappearance. I'm not into that. So anyone that would think that (laughs) I would have a part anything like that is it's just ridiculous. But you guys know how it is. The people kind of either jump to their own conclusions or are told certain things and then they go along with it. So it is what it is. More will be revealed, but it's a new chapter for my life. It's a new chapter for the band. And we have a a big job in front of us, which is replacing a really monumental singer and front man the voice of a band and that's a, you know, we, we can, I can go through all the times bands tried to do it and didn't work. And I can go through all the times bands did it and it did work. And luckily we have. History, understanding history on our side to try and make the right decision. So, but it is, it is a monumental undertaking, but I, I can tell you guys, I've never, I would say never, but maybe it's up there. I've rarely in my life been, as motivated, energized, uh, and just galvanized by a challenge, and that's exciting. It's exciting to kind of go, and and <laughs> so if you know if you if you've seen any of the the posts on even Bad Wolf's social media or you know in a Blabbermouth thread, and I and I do read it. Some people say, "Oh, I don't read it." I read it because it's important for me to know what our fans think it, it's actually like important for me to understand it to have a real, don't delude yourself, like know what they actually think. And if you, if, if you actually see that, it's what we call sports bulletin board material, right? You always hear about the, the team that no one believed in. And so it, it really does for me, someone who says you're going to fail, it like it has the at the opposite effect. Like it actually it doesn't make me angry. It actually makes me like excited to prove people wrong. <laughs> and, and and I don't think I was like that when I was younger because I was a lot more insecure. But now it's like it's it's bullet. You know, your doubt is what fuels me. So it get, gets me out of bed in the, mo- out of the morning and keeps me up late at night. And maybe they don't realize that, but it's. It's, it's nice to kind of shut critics up to a certain degree. And, but with that, there's also a real impetus to, to understand that their anger is natural. And even if they say something negative, it's kind of like, you know, a breakup and, and it's and so I have to like, not be mad at them. You know, it's actually really important for all of us not to be upset with people that don't want to support the band anymore because Tommy's not in it. It's understandable. And so that is a, a, a kind of source of discipline. And I've had so many people tell me that, you know, like Jesse from Killswitch told me that, and you know, Chris from Five Finger and a couple other bands reached out to me and just said, hey, just don't worry about it. Just move on. Keep it positive. And I think that's the way to go. Lashing out at people because they don't let, doesn't, it doesn't help at all. So so it's, uh, 2021 really is, turning a new page in a lot of different ways. So, and I'm excited for it. Alrighty. We do have a show sponsor this week. Very exciting. People been hitting me up. It's pretty good. I'm excited. We have a band from Buffalo, New York. They're called Thrones of Redemption. And we're going to play a song entitled Burden of Ashes. Check it out. So that was Thrones of Redemption with their brand new track, Burden of Ashes. I forgot to mention it also features Mr. Chris Clancy of Mutiny Within Fame, friend of the show. Hope you're doing well, Chris. I swear to God, he was featured on another song on this show nothing long ago, and I can't place it. You know, I think it's all running together. I'm very tired right now. <laughs> I apologize. To so the Thrones of Redemption fellas. And it it's actually, it's a two-person two band. And I thought that was a really fun track. Kind of had like a old at-the-gates kind of thing happening. And then you had the melodic chorus. Chris was killing it. Fun solo. I enjoyed that. The funny thing, the they, they, they guy told me, he goes, oh by the time you do the podcast, this song will be on Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify. It is on Bandcamp. Go, go to thronesofredemption.bandcamp.com. It is not on Spotify currently, so... I'm gonna go yell at the band and say, get your shit on Spotify and iTunes, you darn SOBs. But anyway, guys, keep up the good work. Buffalo, I, I hope it's not too cold right now. And uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. It, it it means the world to me. And uh, I hope to, hope you guys, the listeners, are enjoying some of these songs that are being played on here by these young, up-and-coming artists that are out there kicking ass. If you'd like to hear your song on the show, you know what to do. Drop me an email at the Xmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember that's EX. And also just or just drop a DM. I'm easy to find. We have a very special show today, a very unorthodox show. Because I'm doing a thing and it just I had, I had a concept. It came to me, you know, like a like a like a phantom in, in the night to essentially. Go through the catalog of ev- everything I've, I've worked on and written and recorded and pick out, I would say, I could say they're my favorite songs, but I, I think there's a little more context to that. I, I would just say the most interesting songs or the things, the songs that I find that, I don't know, contain some, some other element of something that I just, I feel attached to years later and going back to my early records with God Forbid, and I thought it'd be fun to just have the guys who helped make these records with me and make these songs with me give their take on stuff and so so we can hear the songs and chat. (laughs) So the first song we're going to play is from the first God Forbid LP, which came out in 1999. It was called Reject the Sickness, and we're going to play a song called weather the storm and and you'll see a theme it's it's not technically the last song on the album but it's the there's an outro but it's kind of the last song on the album for some reason a lot of these songs tend to be the album closers but it was a very different song for the band at the time and yeah i just think it's something about it i still think it's badass and and maybe the most metal thing off that record to to some degree and showed a kind of Early, you know, just ambidextrousness in terms of songwriting and, and trying some different things. And the, the, the influences are pretty clear, I think, if, if, you, if you know Extreme Metal, but I still think it really holds up.
2: Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musician's Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various
3: capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
0: Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here... We don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious podcast.
1: The first person I'm going to be speaking with is God forbid vocalist Byron Davis about this track. So check it out. So speaking of metalcore byron welcome welcome back to the uh the x-man podcast uh, speaking of metalcore you know on the album we invented metalcore with <laughs> Reject the <yeah>. City. <laughs> obviously yeah, okay. joking obviously joking <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i'd put it as the uh unheralded god forbid album because it didn't really get a wide release so it's Pretty underground. If you know, you know. If you don't, yeah. you know, don't. But it was our real breakout in terms of putting something out that was professional sounding and had somewhat of an original kind of vision for the first time, where we felt like a real band, I think. And the song I wanted to highlight was Weather the Storm, which I guess it's not technically the last song on the album, but it's the kind of it's the last full song before yeah kind of outro instrumental outro uh but yeah man just just kind of want to get your thoughts on writing the song i love your vocals on this track uh it really it's cuz it's the only like super slow song on the album
4: yeah <laughs> so, i think that was like the only one slow song we ever wrote the first one we ever wrote no nah, we wrote
1: slow. we wrote songs like i mean Constant that was still i mean like that.
4: Well, I mean, like, our first real, the first song that we wrote that was slow.
1: Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, it was, I don't know if there was anything like that on, Determination didn't have any slow songs on it. That was pretty much all, no. you know. <laughs> yeah. Smacking, <laughs> smacking you up. But yeah. just what are your kind of first thoughts when you, when you think about the song? Um, the
4: first thing that comes into my mind when I think of that song, is more of angel where the slime lives.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, so we probably like a lot of bands, when you're writing an album and you don't have song titles, you'll just call the song, yeah, the name of the band that you're ripping off. So we probably called it more of angel.
4: <laughs> Maybe.
1: But uh, what's funny is actually you know what it's more it's more similar to is God of Emptiness. Yeah. Bow to me faithfully. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it's. It's a little more like that, especially the, the the intro section. But I think that was that time period of the band where we weren't afraid to, I guess, wear an influence like directly in our sleeve.
4: No, I don't think we ever were really afraid to. I just think that, you know, it just took us time to get more comfortable in our own shoes to try and meld everything that we were into along with our own, you know, personal take on it.
1: Yeah, so if I remember correctly, this was the first song that Steve Evans mixed. And mm-hmm. so what I, I remember distinctly, and like I said, this was a time when getting a good, a really great recording was expensive or prohibitive if, if you didn't have the right people around you. Yeah. And he would, Steve would kick us out the room. He wouldn't let us be there while he was mixing. And this is an old analog Board where you would literally have to automate,
4: yeah, everything uh, by hand.
1: The performance, right? Yeah. So he, you know, he was in there doing that, and we were out, and then all I remember hearing was like the drum, the toms at the beginning, yeah, and be like, oh my god, we yeah. have like feeling like he took something, and obviously when you're when, while you're recording it, it's very raw sounding, but yeah. then to hear it mix, it was, it was just kind of unbelievable to hear the band that that way
4: yeah i mean it was you know for us like again man like because you know steve do it again Evans. that was like our first (laughs) initiation into like the real recording process you know we we did do the third studio from the sun and that first session got wiped because one of the the adats went down or whatever so i mean it, it was cool it was amazing actually to be in there and East, plus it was so close to home, yeah, which was and, and, and made it a lot easier. Yeah, to do the the whole session, but do you,
1: do you remember what the lyrics were about?
4: Uh, off the top of my head, right now, no.
1: <laughs> just I being, mean, just being angry in in nineteen ninety nine.
4: Well, I mean, it was about anger, but I mean, I think it was a little bit more than that. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to put myself back in that place where we were because you know oh my God, I'm trying to I don't want to miss quote, but like we were I was working at BFG at the time. What is the, that
1: again for the people listening? It's a uh, it it's
4: called BFG Aerospace. We basically rebuilt uh airplane wheels and brake systems for like uh not necessarily commercial flights, but for uh like UPS flights, planes and things like that, that would fly merchandise around the country whatever. So Sal got me that gig. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just doing that and then rehearsing every day, you know, and just hanging out, man, like writing music. And I don't know, man, at that time it is, something happened personally. I can't really remember exactly what it was, but I had some crisis in my family. At that point, and I just I penned it. I actually the initial pending occurred. I was sleeping and then I woke up from my sleep and I just started just drafting it out. And mm-hmm. it kind of came to me that way. And then it took a couple of days to kind of figure it out exactly what I was trying to say. But you know, I'd have to listen to the song because I really haven't played Rejected Sickness in a long time, man. But I do remember the last time I was at Track C seeing the reels there. So we need to kind of reach out.
1: So one of the things about this album, too, was a lot of these songs, we never, you know, we didn't have a, a crazy demoing process. The only demo I think we did, we did a demo with Steve of N2, which ended up yeah. this comp, on the Endless Fight comp. And then we did, I think it asked out. I think might might have been the other song we did. But we did we did two songs. But other than that, I don't think we really heard much of the songs with vocals. So we would a lot of times when when he would finish a mix, yeah, it would be us actually hearing the song with vocals for the first time. And and he did such a great job. And it was like hearing you record it in a in a really good way. And even though you probably did it, I think in what, like a day or two. Yeah, I mean what would the total we were there like a week, maybe. It, I mean, I think total the album was ten days. I think it was seven days tracking, and then two, yeah, two and a half days mixing or something like that.
4: Yeah, I think I had like a day and a half to do all the vocals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but it, it it worked, and I think the the record is I want to say like a half hour long. It's not that's back in the day that you you do eight or nine was that it's ten tracks, but really it's like one little fade out instrumental, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, it was just a, a, a revelation and it was always a fun song to play live. And I think it was a, so, so here's a, a fun note. It's the first God forbid song ever to have keyboards on it. So the yeah. intro, there's just like the little keyboards. I remember we like busted out the chord, Triton whatever was there in the studio, and just like find a dark, ominous note. <laughs> and then
4: that's how the magic happened.
1: <laughs> But I think it was actually that song, I think it was one of the last songs we wrote for the album. It, it must have been. Yeah. Because I feel like it's probably one of the few songs on the record, if not the only song that feels almost purely like a metal song. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound metal core. It wasn't like we were outside of maybe the one breakdown part, but it's not a normal breakdown. It's not chugga chugga. It's just a it's just a groovy heavy riff.
4: Yeah, it's real doomy.
1: Yeah. I feel. So I think that was a real development for the band to not feel like we had to be trapped by it has to have a breakdown or it has to be like. I mean,
4: we were always experimenting, you know, we just tried to do what was best for the song. So, you know, we'd write it, then rewrite it, cut out a part and then rewrite it again. So (laughs) in those days, but I mean, it was it was great. I mean. The one performance that really sticks out when we played that song was when we played upstairs at the Melody Bar that New Year's Eve. Yeah. That was crazy.
1: I wish someone someone had that on video. I'd like to see that.
4: I'm sure it's somewhere on video. I know I blew out my knee that night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so we played the Melody Bar. So this was going from 2000... It was, but it was turning into 2001. And the reason, no, no I'm, I'm telling you, you know how I know that's what it is, is because we basically had recorded Determination, but it wasn't out yet. So we played like four or five songs off Determination before the album was out. So we were playing like all these songs a lot of people didn't know, but I remember the songs going over really well. So I was like yeah. feeling ourselves like, damn, we got these new songs and people are enjoying them.
4: Yeah, it was weird because that night uh cuz that's when we we had played go your own way at that show. Probably and walking downstairs in Howard cuz uh Howard's band was on that show.
1: You're getting your shows confused. So Am the I? show you're thinking about is I know it's the Melody Bar. Yeah, so the show you're talking about is our first like big headliner at Melody which happened that summer, happened mm-hmm. like the summer of of 99 or 2000 or 2000 or something like that and it was like it was nora main support kill switch and blood has been shed was supposed to play but they canceled but howard and Corey came to the show and burnt by the sun so that was the lineup so you're getting the two melody shows confused we played later so that was before so so what's that who was on the one that we played for so the New Year's building. New Year's Eve was, Agents of Man and X Number Five.
4: Okay, I thought there was four bands on there, but
1: nope, it was three but ba- Maybe one other band, but I'm pretty sure it was because I remember it was like all our friends, you know, because yeah. because X Number Five is like John Stanley was an X Number Five and Alf and uh Luke Luke my 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 best bud Luke Bodenstein plays drums in that band. So and then obviously the Agents of Man guys were. Our homies.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's how I don't even know how many years ago that was, man. 20 years ago. It's only it seems longer than 20 years ago.
1: 20 goddamn years. It's been a long time. Thank you to Byron for coming on the show. He's actually we're not doing Byron yet. We have another song and he's going to comment on that as well. And we also have God forbid drummer Corey Pierce making an appearance on the program as well. Second time for him. So the next track is from the next God Forbid album, which was released in 2001, our Century Media debut entitled Determination. And this is the the last track on the album. And like a common theme, it is the most different song on the album. You'll, me and, you know, we, we get into it. So I'm, I'm not, I don't even have to really give it too much intro but uh let's play the song you can check it out for yourself this one is entitled dead words on deaf ears
3: i
4: I mean, for me, that song was basically about like trying to convey some kind of message, but like no one really listening to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It just basically felt like dead words on deaf ears, you know. Um,
1: But that was there's kind of similarities between that song and and "Weather the Storm" because they were like essentially the last songs in the the albums, but they were also the darkest songs I think on each of the albums.
4: Yeah. I mean, for some crazy reason, man, like for every, it's weird, everything good that happened, like something negative kind of sparked it. Like, cause, uh, just death, man, family death everywhere, you know?
1: Is that, so, that was something you, that would inspire you to write or something you, it would kind of bring?
4: Well, I mean, like my stepfather had passed away at that time mm-hmm. around, uh, in between those two records. So just trying to deal with that, you know, and then just trying to find where I basically fitted in with uh, just time, man. Mm -hmm. You know, life, life was very involved, but it didn't seem like anything was working, so to speak, I don't know. Like some of that stuff is, it was dark days, man, dark days.
1: Well, I mean, I could say this, man, and uh, I'm not trying to color over anything you're saying, but at least you had that outlet. To yeah, I mean,
4: totally. I mean, that that's what kind of saved me, having that outlet. You know what I mean? Because most of before that, you know, there wasn't really, I didn't know too many people that succeeded in doing what they wanted to do without getting in trouble for it.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know what I mean? So to be able to get some anger out, some angst, that young angst in a safe environment that's productive, like you, you, you got to go with that. You know, you have to take it and try and take it to the next level and make something from nothing. You know, we're in the middle of New Jersey and nobody was thinking about Jersey like that when it came to music, but we found a niche with the hardcore scene and we found people that were like-minded like us and it gave us something to do that was positive.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. Definitely. You know, as far as at least with regards to my brother, and myself definitely kept us out of trouble. Not that we are looking for trouble, but it was definitely.
4: Yeah, I mean, trouble is yeah. easy to get into if you're not, you know, focused on other things.
1: Yeah. Well, I just I just mean growing up in a relatively similar inner city type environment, there's trouble there to be found. But instead yeah. of being out in the streets, we were in the house playing playing guitar.
4: You hanging out at the studio with Paul. A big noise,
1: or that? Back <laughs> back when our our biggest uh, vice was drinking too much Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> Corey Pierce, uh, welcome back to the X Men show. Uh, you know, I'm doing this. Happy to be back. Yeah, so I'm doing this special kind of going through all these tracks that I worked on that I I think are important to the history. You know, and and. And one, you know, one of the tracks I wanted to bring you on to talk about was uh, Dead Words on Deaf Ears, the the closing track from Determination and just kind of get your thoughts, you know, about what you remember writing the song or recording the song or just like generally like what you what you kind of think about when you think about the track.
5: I'll tell you what, like, um, when you brought it up yesterday and I was like, I got to go back and listen to this like a thousand times, you know, <laughs> just to kind of get back into the, where my headspace was at, um, just cause the was a crazy time. You know, it's like, I feel like we had just finished kind of doing reject the sickness and getting through all that. And we kind of started doing that and it was just so much different, I guess, um, reject in so many ways. Um, I think all of our heads were in a different monster Like everybody was like, I felt pretty excited about what was going on. Like this, the transition of everything that was happening. Um, not just songwriting wise, but it was like all these exciting new things are happening. Like everything was still brand new and fresh. You know what I mean? Um, so that was kind of crazy. And you're just kind of like all these different ideas that, you know, how reject was, it was a lot of me, you and Dallas sitting in fucking, Basements building those little models, <laughs> drinking a lot of Mountain Dew, just yelling numbers at each other: eleven nine seven five. You know, like everybody's just you know. Was, was this that of, different? I,
1: like, I don't remember this being that much different in terms of our process.
5: I, feel, I don't know about the process <laughs> being that different. I just feel like everybody's headspace was a little more different. I think that when we were doing reject, it was a lot more about heaviness and brutality, and you know, and this was sort of more like it was more a lot more melodic and a lot more finesse and a lot more kind of like not as all over the place and frantic and kind of just more focused in a lot of ways i felt
1: yeah i mean one thing that sticks sticks out to me even in context with the rest of the record is i think this song is very well composed like all the parts go well together and nothing feels like out of left field and when it comes to melody it almost it's weird because like we started doing like black metal stuff on like earth's blood years later but it's almost like we were like tapping into that stuff oh yeah there's even-
5: definitely some dark some dark things <laughs> going on especially when you listen to the tone of that song it has a very dark nature to it you know um it, there's nothing about it that sounds for a minute like it, it's going to be like there's any happiness or any positivity or any kind of light sort of melodies for me at least. I felt like it's a very like um, sort of dark and ominous background going on there. But that's just just how I felt.
1: Well, I one of the, one of my favorite things about this song is you can listen to. A lot of God forbid songs from any era, and kind of like, oh, I can tell they were going for this kind of thing, right? Like you, they can kind of hear the influence of a track. And this song, and I think part, par- partially, what it has to do with was, you know, and I I talked about this in the the liner notes for the Determination uh, vinyl, was like we didn't we had to go right into writing this album, so we didn't have a lot of time to think. We just kind of were just going, and I think, and I remember this is one of the last songs written and it just felt like things were just happening right we weren't trying to make a song be like blank it just kind of would happen avenue. organically yeah. um yeah. We're, like we're to a certain degree i don't even remember really writing half of this shit. i just remember kind of just being in the room and i think when we were working on this song that's where we were in that weird uh that, space on jersey avenue yeah 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 that office space and it was like, I remember it was really cold in there, and we'd be up there in our hoodies <laughs> and shit.
5: Yeah, it was cold in the winter and hot as hell in the summer.
1: Yeah. I think, listen, I think that's probably why, why a lot of these bands, like young bands, metal bands, or early records are are so angry and fierce because, you know... You're, They're like, playing in shitty conditions. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're some, like, band in, in Sweden, and it's, like, negative below two, you know, and it's dark, fucking 24 hours a day and then you just write the sickest shit because the environment almost brings it out of you i i wonder
5: well i I would think that environment is always going to have like if you listen to like a lot of new jersey bands that we came up with you know from dillinger to to e-town um they all kind of had always a hard edge to it you know there's always like a busy sort of aggressive edge in one form or another. And I think that's part of the environment here. New Jersey breeds, you know, there's a lot of people here all trying to accomplish what they have to accomplish in a day. And that general lifestyle is going to affect how you write and how you think and who you are as a person. I think it's the same thing if you're, you know, and you're in Finland or Sweden or, you know, somewhere where it's like, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of darkness, you know, it's, <laughs> that would put me in a place too. you know, have a, you know, as you've been there, I've been there, you know, you've been there when it's like, where did the daylight go? <laughs> and, you know, you don't really see sun. You don't really see those types of things that, human beings technically need like sunlight is a good thing for people you know it makes people feel cheery like you know when it goes out of winter into spring people all of a sudden girls start taking their clothes off you know it's just fucking everybody's like oh warm weather's here everybody's excited you know and it's like when in the winter time everybody's kind of like oh it's
1: cold it's dark well, well yeah <laughs> i mean i remember i, I I'm trying to like think that when we recorded the album, I can't remember if we did it when it was warm or cold, but for some reason, Definitely I, cold. yeah, because I remember, I think about Determination because it came out in February. And so I know we probably were only were done recording it probably right before the new year so some, yeah, for some reason when, when i think about the album i think about like i said coldness and i don't know and, and i i don't know it's a it's a very odd thing and it's kind of weird listening to the song because to me this song also has just some of that magic from that time because you know this is before we were recording to a click and a lot of stuff you know this is i feel like a time when because remember we did the, the demos with zeus right we did yeah. uh Go your own Wicked. way, Wicked, and I think we did Determination, uh, one and two. We did, uh, and then some song I remember like feeling like, like Wicked, for example. It's like it never maybe sounded quite as cool as the as the demo, or maybe like there's sometimes you just get a vibe, and there's little things like in this yeah. one where there's this one guitar with like a tremolo effect, and I think that was from literally like because we, we were tracking live with you, we'd like do a, a rough track and then but sometimes you just you just have a cool thing that you do in the room you just leave it from like when we were actually tracking drums (coughs) um and same thing with with the end Mm. there's this really cool like way the guitar kind of slows down and it's all stuff but it's all from when we were just me and dallas were tracking with you while you were doing it because there was no click that was the only way we could follow (laughs) the songs you know Um, yeah and even and byron too i think is one of the coolest byron performances on, on on this record it was very you know this record just in general he had a really there was before the band was like, he had a singing. lot of shit going on too yeah but that's what i'm saying like it seems to be very emotive uh the you know the way his screen especially the song just you just felt it i don't know
5: yeah i mean um i also think for me i felt like there was a lot of sort of like underlying nevermore influence because they had a lot of dramatic sort of feel to them it was still from a byron's heavy. standpoint um just from a jet well from my standpoint i felt like it was like we we're just start, like i was just starting to discover a lot of those bands like nevermore like carnal forge things like that and um i don't know i started to definitely think differently i also had just come from um doing that um, helping Mitch do sound for that Terry Bozio drum clinic when I had a whole conversation to him with him and it was like he kind of opened my mind to kind of like using tones for melody and kind of matching listening to guitars more and listening to what's going on so it being less about um, you know just brutality and mad numbers so to speak and it became more about sort of kind of making the drums be more a part of the band and not just something that just held down, you know, patterns, you know what I mean? It became more musical for me, I think at that point. Um,
1: yeah, I think, listen, I listened back to it. I, I wonder how much drums drove the composition because the song goes between kind of like this, a really fast thrashy thing to this slow thing. And I was like, and I'm just trying to remember, like, how did we go from, how do we decide that, this is going to be fast. It was going to be slow, and it kind of. But I. But the the main part comes in with the drums first. and I'm like, it must have been a lot of, just just coming from probably your vibe of like, all right, let's bring something different. That was you know, mood like we talk about the term moody a lot, right? Like, I was like <laughs> oh, it's just something moody or something that just has a a feel, you know?
5: Yeah, I mean, um, also I think at that time I was kind of like. Because we had just come from a track, like you said, we were we didn't have time to think. Like everybody was getting better at their instruments individually, and that helped drive a lot of what happened in that song. Because there's a lot of different, um, like you say, it's like a lot of different kind of feels. It's like very melodic feels. It's very slow and droney, very heavy, and then there's a kind of like you know the if you want to call it the breakdown section or whatever that, that comes in, it's kind of a little bit odd time. It's got a little bit of these weird accents and, and things like, there's a lot of experimentation going on, that, which led to a lot of what I, I, I feel made that song so, so, so special. You know, like there was, I think just so much going on mentally and emotionally that I don't think anybody really had time necessarily to process. It just came out.
1: You yeah. know, another Wait, another thing. You know, little nugget for for people listening. The the outro of the song is actually the same melody as the beginning of the album. So we we did this thing where the riff at the end of our previous album, reject the sickness, is the riff that starts the next album. But there's a melody, so it's like in a in a, in a weird way, we were kind of almost doing some kind of musical concept kind of through line, and it was a real intention to like make an album that had a beginning middle and an, and an end and i think we, we accomplished that pretty well
5: yeah i definitely like i remember sitting there thinking about like what songs like we're gonna go in what order and it seemed to go pretty smoothly all in all you know like all right this definitely feels like it should be here this definitely feels like it should be here on the album i don't remember having too many like you know above board <laughs> Above for arguments you know figuring that kind of stuff out at the time like i felt like everybody kind of was in a very um like-minded place in a lot of ways um during that maybe it was from just all the playing like we were playing a lot especially for a band that you know it's different when you're like a sign band you're like you go and you spend however many weeks practicing together writing all the time like we were doing that but we also had you know when you're not in that position. You have a job, Everybody's working, you know, your mind is kind of not, you don't have the, 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 the luxury of just kind of, that is your primary focus. That's all you're going to do. You know, there's other things going on in life that you have to deal with um, as opposed to when you get to a point where, okay, now this is what we're going to do. We're going to be able to have this amount of time to do pre-production. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I felt like the amount that we were playing and kind of progressing was moving at um, a very exponential rate comparatively to when we first started. So that affected things a lot. I, I felt like things went a lot smoother as far as everybody sort of being on the same page and kind of going a certain direction and kind of like, oh, this is a great idea. This is a good idea. And everybody would just kind of jump on board and feed off things. Um, which I don't know that that was necessarily the case, <laughs> you know, starting out for, for anybody, for any band. I don't care if it's a bunch of experienced players. When you first start to get around each other, you kind of have to feel each other out, but we had kind of passed the feel out stage, and now we're moving to a stage where everybody's becoming a little more proficient and had, you know, a lot of high hopes and a, a
1: lot of aspirations for what we could do. There you have it, Corey Pierce, C-Money, on the drums, dropping Truth Bombs on the show. That was pretty great. The next song we have coming up is, like I said, I'm going all in order. So this is from the next God Forbid album, entitled Gone Forever, which in many ways commercially was the band's breakout album. And the track I'm highlighting on this record is called Washed Out World, and You'll hear a very obvious difference between the previous two songs and this song in terms of the sound of the band, the production, a kind of reigned in feel melody, some vocal differences that are quite striking. And I thought it was a real achievement for the band, which is why I picked it to be next. And so we're going to have Corey commenting on the song, and then we're going to be having my brother Dallas Coyle making his first appearance on the X-Man podcast and it's a big deal i mean he is probably by far the most requested guest to be on the on the show so i know a lot of people have been waiting to hear from and i'm sure at some point we'll do a proper X-Man top to bottom extravaganza <laughs> but you know it was it was, it was re- really exciting to to have my brother on the show and kind of you know the way it made me and him mix it up and talk about things it was it was cool it's just cool to really get back in the time machine and, and really get underneath the hood on these these albums that we really bled for and and put everything into so it's a it's a it's a it's a really cool thing so check out this song from gone forever god forbid washed out world
5: So I was actually just listening to that before we uh, before we started talking. I listened to it last night as well. Um, it's just a difference. Like there's a lot of things that cross my mind when I listen to 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 Gone Forever in general. Um, one of the big things that crosses my mind is at this point, this is when um, there was a lot of different influences from everybody like you know this at th- this point dallas b star became you know the rock and roll master you know what i mean like everything was about every rock band that he loved at that time he had to bring it up in every riff like this riff should sound like fucking you know foo foo whatever the fuck he was feeling at that moment and then i felt like all right i started to feel like on that album too i was just mentally stressed because i was you know i was still working for andy like 10 12 hours a day
1: well we, we went through a process that record where basically me and Dallas kind of had a unit and it was like you felt attacked uh creatively because we you know we were we it was the first time we started uh using like a drum machine to write so we had we came in with like ideas about okay here's how I think a part should go and so that created a lot of tension because previously your drumming really drove the compositions on the first two albums i feel like in a lot of ways So it was like a power struggle.
5: I I felt like it it was, it was kind of like a power struggle, but for me, I was just mentally breaking down because it was just like, when you're beating your body up all day and then you're practicing at night, it became hard to just retain information. Like the mental and physical exhaustion started to peak around that time because, you know, there, you know, we wanted to accomplish certain things and I think everybody did, but there are higher expectations. And then of course, They also also write things on a drum machine that were physically impossible. You know, you know, it's got like crashes and China's happening the same time as snare hits with fucking 87, you know, complex patterns on feet and Tom fills going on simultaneously at points. I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. So that became very frustrating. Um, A lot of the drums on Gone Forever also became more demanding in, 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 in several different ways. Um, as far as endurance, for sure, because there were some long ass songs on that record with a lot of double kicks going on. And then you're trying to create sort of like musical things on top of that, cymbal hits and crescendos and different kinds of, there's a lot more um, and ways to kind of put a straightforward feel to things that, At the time, mentally, I just wasn't ready to process. It took me a minute to just be like, all right, I got to make a decision, you know, about what what I'm doing here, and um, it just took a while for me to to ingest all that. It was a lot for me to take in with everything else that was going on, just mental and physical fatigue um, was, I think, most of the... You know, the negative energy came from that because I was just mentally and physically tired all the fucking time. So yeah.
1: Well, I mean <laughs> that put somebody in a foul mood. Well, <laughs> one of the things that, that stands about about that song and also Judge the Blood too was like this embrace, like you said, kind of this really for the first time, us infusing any real kind of rock influence, but also there's like this epic kind of thing. Like okay, let's make this yeah, song. a lot of
5: machine mm-hmm. head influence on that album.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, but but I but I hear machine head, but I also hear, you know, going back to our roots with hearing like little bits of Metallica in, and Metallica, in yeah, lots of Metallica. Um, bits of I don't know, like uh, even the you know the chords in the in the bridge. Dallas was like, "Yo, I stole these from Radiohead." Like you said, like him kind of mm-hmm. bringing this 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 rock influence, but making things sound kind of epic, like for the first time where. Because I think
5: what was the uh, what was this uh, the wall of sound?
1: <laughs>
5: Everything had to be a wall of sound.
1: Dallas said that. Yeah. Oh, like every time that. we'd have
5: like we'd have the uh, like uh, those big chord progressions kind of going on behind things, and he would he would tell me all the time it needs to have a wall of sound. You need to play up on this crash and play this and do that. I'd be looking at him like, dude, I need you to just shut up for a minute. Just let me <laughs> let me take a breath. <laughs> But you know, it all worked out. <laughs> wow.
1: So that was Corey Pierce. And right now we have Dallas Coyle. Gone Forever was like the first album that you know you started doing vocals on and singing, but this song you sing the most on. On, oh, on the album, yeah. 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 And so, and I, I remember not really, cause you, I think you wrote, did you write all the lyrics for the song? And no, all... I didn't. Actually, I didn't
2: write any lyrics. I only wrote the chorus the lyrics Byers. were 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 buyers like like basically the way uh that track worked out was i mean remember like i i've I've, been, I've actually been telling people a lot of this shit like when we went to go record that record it was the first record that we had uh, a budget like a yeah. real budget but we didn't really have that much of a budget so eric rachel set me 30 down 30
1: grand i think it was 30 grand
2: it was 50 50 damn yeah it was Old 50 snap. but the thing is cuz cuz we 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 got um track seats for a month you know and then we got Colin. so but the thing is we didn't have really have enough time, so Eric sat me down with a Pro Tools rig inside the inside the the lobby, and I basically produced all of Byron's vocals. Yeah, and you did a lot of your own vocals. No, I didn't. Didn't I didn't I didn't track any of my vocals.
1: Who tracked your vocals, Eric?
2: Wait, 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 wait. No, no. Uh, you know Eric's assistant, um, the other Eric. He tracked he tracked my vocals for um, Force Fed. Gotcha. And then. And I don't I can't remember if I tracked my vocals but um but yeah so like I basically tracked all of Byron's vocals and at that point I, I, I think I wrote the lyrics for Precious Lie I wrote the lyrics for Better Days um I wrote the lyrics for um
1: I wrote some yeah. of the lyrics for better days too I
2: yeah 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 and then and then and then um uh judge the blood yeah I wrote like I wrote the lyrics for um, Force Fed I didn't write any lyrics for
1: yeah I wrote like some of the lyrics for anti-hebrew I don't
2: really like... Yeah, and here you know what's funny—the songs that were garnered more metal, the more traditional metal songs—I didn't write lyrics for because I felt like I, I don't know, I just I just I'm not, I, you know what I mean? Like it was weird. So like on a washed-out world, I did the I wrote the chorus, and but I didn't, and and I and I and I—it was weird because like like at that time, like that that was a weird time because we we were such in like a state of like disarray. Yeah, you know, like before writing it, that that um, you know, we uh. That I, I at that point like my my actual feelings got involved and I felt bad because I felt like I kind of took a lot of the thi- a lot of the writing from from Byron and shit. Yeah. So on that song, like like I, I didn't really have anything for that song. So those lyrics are Byron's lyrics. Those are all Byron's lyrics.
1: Yeah, I just well, I just remembered what I thought was cool about it. Was, I phrased them though, I think. Yeah, but what, what I thought was cool about it because I didn't know it was what was gonna be, but that you came in kind of like on the verse but it was almost like a pre-verse and like the way oh, you, is the this way you, no no, no I'm not, no just as like as the sun sets just the, like just the way it comes oh yeah yeah I forgot
2: about um, that. Yeah, that, those are his lyrics too
1: yeah no but he comes in with the same he sings the yeah. same verse but I just thought it was a cool idea of like yeah it's the same part but it's more like a build-up part but I didn't yeah. I didn't know like what you were going to do with all that and so it was very like for the band at the time, it was just very refreshing. And we had written that song, you know, and I was talking to Corey about this, about how this was our first real foray into doing something really epic. I mean, we had touched on it with like the previous album, with like the the determination, like part one, part two, that was pretty epic, but this felt bigger. And just, it felt like this, you know, the reason why that song for, all of my favorite songs on each album are like the songs that seemed like it was pushing the band to a new space that we had never been in. And that, that song, Watch Our World is the one that did that more so than any other song on that album.
2: Yeah, you know, it's what's weird about that shit is like, I mean, like, I mean, every every single, every single like um, album that we've done is, but like it was, the process was exactly the same. Like we, we had like two, one or two songs that weren't finished. We finished in the studio. And then same thing with lyrics, like usually like, like we had, the, I mean, the lyrics on like Termination obviously we didn't have anything to do with them, but like after that you know, it was kind of like the same process and with Washed Out World the most interesting thing is this, is like um, you know, the middle part of Washed Out World, like like the, the where, where Rob Flynn was like dun, 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 yeah. that part like right, right before that well like I, I, yeah, I guess you're right, I guess I did record that in the studio, like at night and I the way it was, I had it like there's a lot more to it but at the end of it there was like some uh like it was kind of like maybe some pitch issues yo know, and colin fucking like put that shit together and made that shit sound crazy like with every the, whatever he did taking the performance what i had like it was like perfect like it was crazy like i i, I was like man cuz when i when i sent it there it was like a certain way and then when we got it back he, he 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 kept he kept it more simple and instead of like and then he, but he just made it like 10,000 times better like, it was crazy. Well, yeah, well,
1: that was the one song. I mean, we talk about this even on our, the band's DVD about getting the mixes back from Colin, but that song in particular, just sound, when the breakdown at the end, the outro breakdown part just sounded yeah. so devastating. And it, and it brings yeah. up a very famous inside story about our friend, Rick, uh, aka en- Enrique Maldonado. Yeah, this right here? Yeah, who eventually came to a work for the band. So if you, you're you seeing this, you'll, you'll see so... Do you want to tell the story cuz I I I tell your now, story? You, know
2: you I I think you should tell the story cuz the thing is man like I noticed that like a lot of the uh a lot of my memories of things are they they're like I, I they're they're not as clear as like you you have a much better memory on certain things. I mean I could probably if you'd say something I would probably embellish on it cuz I like, I'll
1: remember but yeah like I mean but when he said you can't deny that. So basically the album wasn't out yet and only our friends basically we're hearing the record or people we knew and we were showing them songs and we were at some party oh I no no
2: say- i remember i remember i remember so sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> yo man man
2: listen man we're, we're like this is what we were drinking we have we don't have parties in and I think it was around yeah.
1: christmas time it was like some something yeah, like but, that but it was at wasn't at beaker's house no, it was at Rick—that Rick's house or someone Rick knew. It was oh, like,
2: no, maybe Rob's house, maybe. Somewhere. No, no, it was a Rick's
1: house. Rick's house. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah.
2: somewhere. Yeah. So, and he's like, he goes, "Hey, man, you know, what I'm saying? be listening that album, man. Man, let me tell you something, man. When people, when people hear that album,
1: they're gonna go fucking crazy. You can't deny that, man.
2: You can't deny that, man.
1: <laughs> so, so we went on to tell this story. Two other people for years, so like, like uh, Chris Warner, who's in um, uh, Butcher Babies and Scars of Tomorrow. Oh, Scars of Tomorrow, yeah, Chris, oh yeah, yeah. hell yeah! So Chris was in Scars of Tomorrow. And How do you know that? We went, when we did the tour with because the, the tour was like right after the album came out. And we would like tell people this story about Rick, and mm-hmm. he, to this day, Chris goes, "You can't deny that." You can't I mean, deny that. You, you, you can't deny it, man. And, and, you can't and, deny that. And, and <laughs> they're bruv. gonna go
2: fucking <laughs> crazy.
1: You can't <laughs> deny that, man. You you know, that was,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> and when Luke when, when Luke heard it, he like, he pulls up the melody bar. He's like, "Yo, man, listen to this." And his his stare his system was so fucking dope, bro. Like it's crazy. Yo, you know what's funny? I remember getting the first mix back at, at uh, Track Season, listening to it on the laptop, and now from what I know about like making music, that shit sounded because I never heard my voice before. You know what I mean? Like when when hearing the chorus and just hearing the way that like on the laptop speakers and and, and hearing the laptop speakers is like and being able to hear it sound great on those laptop speakers, that shit was crazy. Like we didn't even send a note. <laughs> we didn't send anything. You know what I mean? Like it's well, no, but we
1: actually didn't have time though, because the only my only real note for the record is on Soul Engraved. Jeff Loomis did a guitar solo on the outro, and previous to this record, if we had a fade out or fade in on a song, we would do it in mastering, and he did the fade in the mix. So we so we never got to hear the full Jeff Loomis solo.
2: Oh, and Jeff Loomis brought that up too.
1: Yeah, and so, there's some really cool shit I did at the end. Yeah, he does some. It's getting, it sounds like, you know, a damn video game, the shit he's doing at the end. It's, it's great. That's my only real note. But the, can we unveil that? that? Can, can we, can we
2: like get that, get that solo somehow? Cause I mean, someone's got to have a master of this shit, huh?
1: Yeah, I think, I think Steve has that. So we got, we got to look into that. Um, Steve, uh, Joe? Steve Laguti had, had the stems. Okay, cool. Cause he was doing like, uh, he was like the, he said he was doing the backing tracks and stuff and the uh the click tracks for us so he should have that stuff but uh anyway so the other song I wanted to talk about is oh I, I wanted to bring up something about Watch Out World though sure
2: um like in w- with that song you know the the whole clean part yeah. that whole the, the whole chord progression yo know, I lifted that shit from fucking Radio, Radiohead Radiohead yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was I, I was... can't remember I can't I can't remember what song it was. Well, the the thing Um, that's
1: cool about it is, is the progression itself is a fairly common, you know, E to C to D structure, but it has these open, uh, like like open strings in the in the yeah open strings. You
2: know, yeah, and that's interesting about that is because like we were that song is standard, and um well standard D, well standard D, yeah, standard D, and then uh, but like the open overtones and shit like that, like are generally we, we did that more on the drop song, so to have it to have it there like on that track was pretty cool but i mean i would do i was listening that and the, and the vocal shit is all from it that's all like inspired by radiohead like that's how fucking Tom Hanks, <laughs> in my head. you know what i'm saying I was, I was i was i was feeling myself in the studio like
1: <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean and i think that's that time period was like one of the biggest periods of growth because we were we we were like giving up the, that like underground scene thing. Like like it didn't, before that it was, we were pretty much mainly listening to super extreme, fast, heavy stuff. And then we kind of, during that period, it's like, you know, you were listening to Radiohead and I was rediscovering. That's when I got into the Beatles. That's when we just started to really get out of our box and stop yeah. being as as closed-minded. And so the, all that stuff and and just embracing like even the chorus on that is a more oh
2: and, and beaker speaker sang sang the harmony on that voice oh, because yeah. because because i blew my voice out like i like i was like and he fucking did and it was crazy because beaker would never sing live you know oh no. but he but he killed that shit man he killed that shit like yeah, I anytime I mean, it, it was, for high vocal we would, we would get beaker. he killed he, he i mean he kills it at everything you know he won like two like but like like he comes in he's he he, term, he like he terminates sings he's like he's terminating the, the singing part shit with feeling shit like that was that was dope man like uh you know, the one thing I wanted to do is like I wanted to shout out Jesse from Killswitch, from uh you know, on 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 this because like when we we wanted to change our sound and when we heard Killswitch and shit was like it kind of like it formed us as to how to kind of like change our sound and some people like hate on that a little bit because they they liked that we were they, they 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 liked that we were like um you know they liked how we were extreme you know like 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 Mark Morton said like you know as the palaces burn they love like how determination was but. I think that like um, we are, that, like like we were a much better band in the in the gone forever, past that. You know what I mean? Like 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 style. And I want to shout out Jesse because, like, if Jesse hadn't left Killswitch, it wouldn't have made the space for our band to have a message like we did because our message, I think, was is purely spiritual. And when he left Killswitch, like Howard's vibe really wasn't in that whole kind of headroom thing you know what i mean and 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 really like and it wasn't like that i was jocking jesse it's just like like his the the way that they sounded and just like the emotion of it like you know was uh was really like like to me like it really like kind of tied things together so like i like to thank jesse and like shout out to jesse because like the the motherfucker is a living legend as far as i'm concerned and like he really like you know he, he really like kind of informed it and like i didn't even know if i could sing man
1: Yeah, I I had no idea. Let's let's talk about that real quick. I mean, what was what happened between those two records between Determination Gone Forever? Where you're like, not only do I want to do this, but kind of believing that you could do it and do it well enough to be on a record. Just
2: you said the DVD. I'm I'm like, I can get in the room with Mike Tyson and think I'm gonna beat that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, like, like, but it wasn't really that. It was just more like, it was just more like, like I mean, like yo, like we were we were, like, uh, I mean, our band, like, we're determined, like, determined band, and, like, I didn't really know. I mean, the, the first hook I ever wrote, ever, was Precious Lie, you know, and for that song. And it was really because, and, and it was really unfair because Byron is actually a good singer, like, but at the time, I think that we were putting a certain amount of pressure in, in, in for him to sing, and it wasn't, and, and he was wanting to do the type of negative thing, and because we were closed-minded and shit, and it's a shout-out to Byron, because, you know, his, like, like his contribution as far as, like, just, like 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 vocally and shit, like is like is the sound of the band. But he what he like type of negative and like my personality the way it is is so like overbearing, especially back then, that like I was kind of probably stamping out his 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 inspiration or his ability to like really shine on, on that. You know what I mean? So like so 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 some of the demo stuff that he was doing like like it did it wasn't vibrant with it wasn't vibing with me and like and that was probably like more more not because he didn't have the capability of doing it it was just more like we, we were just in a closed-minded place you know what i mean so like when that when, when we we heard what, what where he was coming from on it um i was like okay like i'm gonna have to do this shit you know what i mean because i mean like the we you know and at the time we were going through like a lot of problems but we we, we decided to stay the five of us in the band rather than like doing any changes or anything like that like you know because it was a rough it was a rough time mentally i think for for us as a band in general and personally and all yeah. that shit Man, um it was you know hard, like 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 this yeah and this is how like the thing like this like you know we did that sh- the tour you know what I'm saying that that tour was ass cheeks as fuck, like you know what I'm saying the dopest thing about that tour was we got to meet event sevenfold we got to per- bleeding through i mean i did event sevenfold sound in that tour <laughs>
1: You remember, you're like stick man, you know, so you just started start mixing,
2: <laughs> mixing. No, no, no. But remember, game. remember, I remember I, I was doing sound at Club Béné.
1: We didn't play. Did we play? No, no,
2: I was doing sound as a sound guy. I was a sound guy at Club Béné when we were off.
1: Pardon? I was mixing I forgot
2: about it. You, know, you know, yeah, yeah. I was mixing bands. I was making them motherfuckers sound thunderous. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was fucking crazy. I like I like like I had the kicks and shit. I was like, yo, and I was always worried about feedback. Oh <sighs> oh no, oh feedback. But no, nah, like I was making, I was killed. So I did. I end up doing Evan Sevenfold sound on tour because I was like, yo, these motherfuckers are dope as fuck, and I actually had them sound pretty good some nights. And then, uh, and then just really that the experience of us just basically the overexposure situation where we were just on every single tour and like you know what I mean, like we yeah, and the expectations. So when we got back, you know, you know, I was like the only time in my life I've ever been depressed. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like, yo, like what the fuck are we gonna do? But you know the way I'm thinking about like you know what my, my my backup plan was. Writing screenplays. Yeah. That's a dumbass backup plan. That ain't no backup plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, so one, you're doing all right. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? But, like, you know, I, I'm just saying it's like, that was like a really rough time. So the chorus on Precious Life, we did on the, on the on the demo tape, the four track demo tape. And yo, when I tell you how whack that shit was sounding, my voice was sounding <laughs> so jacked, bro. We, it was like, it was like, it was like Kanye on the outtakes. She was Precious Live. Nah. I did <laughs>
4: Dance.
1: so there we have it. that's brother coil dallas my brother first appearance on the x-man podcast We're, he's he's coming back with don't worry but we have one more song on this episode and it's going to be from god forbid's fourth album which is why it's called Four, Constitution of Treason. And again, a common theme with this, this is the final song on the album, Crucify Your Beliefs. And in keeping with the theme too, it's also, I think, the most epic song on that album. And something, I don't know, and and someone said this phrase about when you're making an album, about not overly planning things or making the environment too rigid. Someone said, you got, you got to make room for God in the room. You have to make room for God in the room. In that the idea that creativity is magical and sometimes it's just about letting things happen. And, you know, I think me and Dallas kind of talk about that a little bit with with this track where it just gets to some really cool places that when I, when I listen to it, it just feels almost otherworldly or that we we got to a, a place of something transcendent and yeah it's just, it's just it's just one of my one of my favorite songs uh sonically lyrically intensity wise performance wise so check it out crucify your beliefs Crucify your beliefs for the closing track on constitution of, of treason it's definitely my favorite song off, off that record kind of yeah man there's just something about that song man that that just I don't know like where I, it, like I feel like I actually feel like the end of that song the whole that's just I, hard. Like, I think that's the best musical moment the band ever had. Like that whole section is like like it was funny. I remember I showed our our, our best friend Will, who was actually filled in on bass for the band, the record. He like he was kind of like not really feeling it except to until that, that part, until the end of that. Oh, year. he he wasn't feeling the whole record at all. He was just wasn't like, you know, he just you know, you know how your real friends are, they're not gonna like yeah, be on your be on your job. Well, it's well,
2: just, we, we weren't there was there was no two steps on that album. <laughs> Uh, Depends how you look at it. Um, no, no, really. Think about it. They were like, not like Habibur. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, the, the most racist song in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, but this, you know, but the the lyrics for "Crucifier Beliefs" were very much influenced by what was going on in the world at the time with the Iraq War. And, you know, that was a song. I think you wrote pretty much all the lyrics in the. I
2: wrote most of the lyrics for that album in
1: general. Yeah, but I wrote, I think, a lot of the lyrics at the end of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like Crucified Beliefs. Really. Yeah, because
2: because uh, Corey was like, man, I don't, want to be, don't say the word for the children. Don't say that shit. I'm not. I ain't trying to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was funny as hell, actually. But that, but that, then, that's,
1: uh, that, that's a song, too. Yeah, yeah you did that. Make, make a
2: contribution, right?
1: Yeah, that's but that whole that
2: whole thing I wrote. Um, yeah, that, that shit is. Okay. Oh, and then I just wrote a bullet and a Bible is all you need. That's the I, only thing I wrote. I
1: think I wrote that. Pretty sure I wrote that pretty sure i wrote that
2: yeah you did <laughs> no yeah, yeah, but, and god we trust on earth we die yeah well the thing
1: is. that's funny about the bullet in the bible thing is that was you know very much of that era which was like the the bush, bush kinda, administration like christian kind of thing which was which was 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 going on and it's so funny because not too long after that that's when obama got in trouble for saying people cling cling to their uh, guns, guns and guns in their bible re- in religion, religion and it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. interesting that that um it's funny because I've heard those phrases "bullet" and "bibles." Like I've heard that be repeated a lot since, and not that people were influenced by what we did, but it just became. It's kind of interesting that there's some cross section between violence and spirituality.
2: Well, well, then also enlightenment too, because I don't know if you know this, but on um, that album cover, you know, because our album cover doesn't have our logo on it, doesn't have our name on it, doesn't have nothing on it except for that anonymous used that shit for the one of their news stories
1: yeah i know i know
2: and I, I, I was i was like man that's like pretty interesting because i mean i don't know that like that song when i think the way the way the song was it's just we, we were just like i mean we were just locked in you know what i'm saying like like and with and with Dimebag's death and shit like it was just like you know what i mean it was just like it was like really nothing i don't know just the way the way the album the way that one it was just like the, when you came up with the story and shit for that you know what I mean? Like that shit was crazy. Like I was like, "What the fuck? This is that like totally works." And then the whole suicide bomber thing, you know, because like the idea from the, the point of view of the suicide bomber, that's kind of what the whole thing is. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's really good. It's really like it's really simple, actually. You know what I mean? Like like just like the the, the lyrics and stuff and like. And uh, but I mean I just think the way the way the song is I mean that song is probably i not, not I haven't thought about it a long time but like, that that song probably is like one of my favorite songs actually on the album too.
1: Well, it's, I think it's hard to think about the the quote unquote hit songs because you play those on stage all the time so you get tired of them whether it's End of the World or Chains or. Well, oh, Chains uh, yo Chains the man I
2: show that to, I show that to people because um, nobody knows that I was in band like what well, because I'm I'm like involved with hip hop and shit like that and like you know and they don't know that i'm in the band and shit like you know and like so when i show somebody they're like they're like yo like that shit's pretty crazy but yo, all the hip-hop artists showed yo like i actually sampled the chorus riff dance for this this hip-hop dude and i played it and then he took it and he made a song out of it like like they like love that like the melodic stuff like it's kind of crazy like how what certain things interpret to to others you know and uh but i mean i i don't know like like I think our, our our band like had um like there were some moments like in every single like in every single like you know part of the part of the band but for me I just would like like gone forever like, everyone I mean I don't even know who likes what to say the truth like I listened I've been listening to albums a lot more lately actually and, and I I look I'll tell you something I appreciate them shits like like when we finished Constitution Trees I felt like one of my goals in life was re- I think I I thought when we finished it I knew that that was a great album and I know that shit's a great album today. By f- still, you know what I mean. Like I don't, I don't need people to tell me what's what. You know, like I'm not gonna sit here and have a, an opinion, you know, an, an opinion debate with somebody about, you know, that like, like that album. You know what I mean? Like I love Gone Forever, but Constitution of Treason is my favorite album by far. Will always be. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, I think I think it ties everything that the band did up to that point. And it was the most focused. It was kind of because we wrote it so quickly. Because we were so confident in ourselves, we didn't. We weren't questioning ourselves, and the ideas kind of came. And I think, uh, yeah, I just think it kind of it. There's the best guitar tone the band had. I think it was when the riffs were the best. Um, I think Byron sounded the best in terms of. I mean,
2: that that was actually that was like that was right there was amazing when Byron came, and and then and he sang sang the chorus for uh, Fallen Hero. Yeah, and like you know, like a lot of people like are on this egotistical shit, like. I mean, I'm kind of like an asshole in certain ways, but like when he sang that chorus, I was like, "Yo, like that shit sounds fucking dope as fuck." Like, well, I Byron's didn't need to be seen.
1: Sing- his it, tone yo, is
2: insane. It's just know? in the thickness of his, of his who he is. It's yeah, like you it's know just- what I mean, like, it, and, and 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 that's and to tell you the truth, like that's what made that song even better. Like, if Byron actually sang the course, the music, if he actually sang all of the all of the hooks instead of the hooks, I think our band would have been huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like I have like a like, I have a thin, like, John Lennon type of yeah, registration. Me and
1: you are literally Lennon-McCartney. Like, I got yeah, 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 kind yeah. of a little more, yeah. like, lower mid thing, and yours is a little more in the in the top. You when know,
2: the Core I mean. Brothers sing, man, it's magic, man. <laughs> when the Core Brothers sing...
1: So that's gonna do it for this episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. It's, uh... I don't know. It's, it's kind of a big deal. I... I think you have my brother on here and, you know, there's a lot more to that story that I'll, I'll get into at another period of time, but it's been really fun just putting this together, listening to everything. I had a concept and it, it seems like it's really, really working. It's really fun for me to mix things up and not be so repetitive. It's, it's tough, but it's cool. It's cool. It's like, it's wonderful when a plan comes together. So this is actually going to be part one of a two-part series, so I was I was gonna do it in one show, and I realized now it's gonna be too long. And I think it's really important that people listen to these whole shows because it really does tell a story to 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 some degree. And on the next episode, it'll be my brother. We we'll back to talk uh, about one more song off the last record he did with God forbid, and we're going to have John Birkland from bad wolves will be on to talk about a bad wolf song and i'm going to have sterling r jackson the singer of my other band vegas nerve to talk about a song we did together and so it'll be cool that that one will be a lot more diverse in in terms of some of the the musical stylings so that'll be fun you get to kind of see how how i've grown over the years so yeah that's 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 pretty much it i've like i said it's been a crazy week and putting together listening to this it's been a it's been a nice journey, and I'm and I'm glad you guys could come along with me. And yeah, we're just gonna keep doing it. We're gonna keep doing it. Hell yeah, we're gonna work on a new Bad Wolves album. We're gonna find a singer, and everything's gonna be. It's gonna be good. I'm 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 feeling it. I'm loving it. All right, you guys have a great week, and Mama's out.
0: for a head-bangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars we go beyond the typical interviews exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal so whether you're a diehard metal head or just curious join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast